Shalom, shalom, and welcome to another podcast, another broadcast of Footsteps of the Messiah. My name is Kevin Bax, and I'm broadcasting to you from my office in Dallas, Texas. So uh, we have been getting behind a little bit, especially with the uh, Pesach and Hagamatsa holidays. So we are looking to get caught up. So uh, I'm going to jump into this broadcast about Vayikra. Um, just uh, for a little bit of background, I did a Jewish studies program in college. I've been a Messianic uh, or a, you know non-Jewish believer in Yeshua as the Messiah and his believer in his resurrection since 1987. And I am uh, I, I currently am a, a Torah observant non-Jew uh, believer in Yeshua and uh, attend a conservative synagogue. I believe all Jews and non-Jews should seek to be as Torah observant as possible and that this is uh, a return to the true faith, especially for non-Jews who are believers in Yeshua. And uh, anyway, so that's one of the reasons why I do this podcast. And I, I believe that uh, the Haftarah is a very under-studied, under uh, a um, lesser known and uh, What's the right word I'm looking for? Uh, deserves more attention, maybe. So, uh, underappreciated uh, part of every Shabbat. So, we'll jump in here to uh, Parashat Vaikra and Haftarat Vaikra. almost said the prayer for counting the Omer. Okay, friends, one reason I don't edit a lot, you're going to hear a jump cut, uh, but anyway, this is the prayer I was trying to say. I had to look it up, and I had to actually, uh, I'm not going to edit what I said earlier because I like you to hear it just uh, regular and normal and uncut. Uh, this is not done in a professional studio, but please God, bezlat Hashem, uh, one day maybe it will be, so... Here is the prayer I was trying to say, which I just forgot because I haven't been on the air in a couple of weeks. So, Amen. And that is, blessed you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us by your commandments and commands us about engaging in Torah study. All right, so, Parashat Vayikra is the first portion and therefore the name of the book of Leviticus. Uh, it's the first portion of the book of Leviticus. Uh, the name Leviticus comes from the late Latin liber, similar to library, L-I-B-E-R, which is literally the book of the Levites, from the Greek Luticon Biblion. Now, this is due to the book largely reviewing Hashem's instructions regarding the priest and their assistants, the Levites. Now, this book is also called Torah Kohanim, somewhere in Judaism, but other than etymonline.com etym online meaning etymology word origins online uh, I don't have the source on that so this means uh, uh, Torah Kohanim means Torah or teaching of the Kohanim the priest so here's an easy way to remember this part who is a priest and who is a Levite everyone from Levi is obviously a Levite but the priest 
the Kohanim in Hebrew, were the ones from the family of Kehat. That's spelled uh, Kof, He, Tav. And Levi had three sons, Kehat, Gershon, and Marari. Now, the Gershonites were responsible, and check me on this. It's been a while since I've read this, but I'm pretty sure this is right. The Gershonites were responsible for the... Sorry about that. The Gershonites were responsible for the inner pieces and the outer pieces that were mostly, if not all, material, such as animal skins and tapestry. So some sort of soft material. Um, this soft tissue and organs of the body of the Mishkan. So, and the Mishkan is meant to be a representation of uh, a human body. Uh, it has a head, it has feet, it has a, uh, a heart. It has a brain. So the Mararites were responsible for the hardware and the posts, the beams, and the bases, for instance. In other words, the skeletal system of the Mishkan during the age of the Mishkan. Now, this year, Parashat Vayikra falls on March 25th, 2023, which is also Nisan 3, 5783, the Jewish or biblical year 5783. So while I'm hoping to discuss the Haftarah, mostly it looks like we kind of have about half and half here. Haftarah versus uh, the actual parasha, which uh, again, this year our goal is to focus mainly on the parasha, but there is something very unique and a unique occurrence. And funny enough, we have one next week too in the first Aliyah that is very similar, which is a diminished letter. The diminished letter. Uh, and this week it is um, the letter Aleph. Next week it's going to be the letter Mem. So, uh, this week in Leviticus, Vayikra chapter 1, verse 1, the Aleph of Vayikra is diminished. It is a small Aleph, and the idea of enlarged letters, small letters, or at least one case, there is a broken Vav in Parashat Pinchas in the word Shalom, and even the letter Nun is reversed in certain places to teach us something. Uh, the Torah and its author Moshe uses these things the idea of enlarged letters and small letters, okay? Uh, the Torah uh, and Moshe use these things, and Hashem, who really is the one who wrote the Torah, to embed special traffic signs, so to speak, or notices to bring the reader's attention to a deeper meaning. So I'm going to try to catch all of these from here on out this year, and especially the ones in the Haftarah as I discover them. So the key is to look at an authentic Hebrew copy. So the website I use daily to do my daily Torah reading and reading in Hebrew uh, online is Chabad.org, but they do not have these letters changed that I can tell. In this case, in Leviticus, they do not have the, the small Aleph, but rather they're all equal in size. So for some reason, their online Tanakh does not have these letters in the original form of enlarged or diminished. So recently I bought this book that's been around for years called The Wisdom in the Hebrew Alphabet. And now it really should be should be called the Aleph Bet, but oh well. So it's published by Art Scroll and a well-known Jewish uh, publisher, uh, Art Scroll, and written by Rabbi Michael Monk. Zayin uh, may he be remembered for good. Uh, he's passed on, I believe. Uh, and I recommend it if you're fascinated by Hebrew or wish to be fascinated by the Hebrew of the Bible. So the idea behind this Aleph of Vayikra in Leviticus 1.1 appearing small is that Moshe had humility. So the word Kara, which is the root, Kuf or Kof, Resh, 
Aleph means called, and it is God was calling to Moshe, and it's a term of closeness. Now, it indicates how close Hashem felt to Moshe and deemed him worthy of such a position. Now, Moshe, being the humblest of men, intended to write the word Vayikar. Now, that would be Yud Kof Resh without an Aleph, which means he happened by. It's more casual, it's less um, connected, it's less intimate or, or less, uh, it's, it's, it's more um, happenstance. So that, and it means that he, Moshe, just happened to hear God's voice, Hashem's voice, not because he, Moshe, was special at all. Now, if you compare this to the passage about Bilam, Numbers 23, verse 4, the Gentile prophet Bilam had Hashem speak to him using this second, more mundane verb. Moshe, I'm sorry, Hashem told Moshe to make the word Vaikra with Aleph, but allowed him to make the Aleph small, so it would be a, bear a similarity to Vaikar, making the Aleph less noticeable. I think this is interesting in our walk with Hashem, because we see sometimes the same thing, that the Lord may speak to you, Hashem may direct you to do something a certain way, may make, you more uh, may make a more humble person do something, but he will... God will allow one to negotiate about how it gets done, if nothing else, to test us. Also, the more egotistical person may want to do something in a more grandiose way, and Hashem may allow it just to let that person go through it their own way so they can learn. Now, Rabbi Monk, in this book, compares Moshe and his humility to someone who is standing on a 10-story building. The person up on the balcony realizes they are not themselves ten stories tall, but rather they got there with the help of Hashem, or allegorically, others. Like, you know, the ones who built the building, the ones who built the stairs, etc. So this series of complex and somewhat mysterious teachings and laws requires humility, meaning the laws about the priesthood and the korbanot, the offerings in order to properly understand it and teach it to others. Now, one last thing about Parashat Vayikra, you may have heard of young children beginning their study of Torah with Leviticus. Now, no Christian in a million years would start their kids learning with Leviticus, um, and it doesn't make sense to the non-Jew, even though they may be an avid reader of the Bible. But since Israel came first, the Bible is entirely a Jewish book, for the nation of Israel and the non-Jews who come to believe in the God of Israel and, and his Messiah. I think it is of the highest importance to understand why Jewish learning is structured this way and in all the ways that they do their education and learning in the stages they do and the particulars. So if you haven't heard me say it before, I'm not Jewish, I have not converted, and I have been a Torah observant learner of the Bible for 37 years, and I came to see the Hebrew Bible um, as the, uh, the Word of God and the um, first half of the Bible in addition to the New Testament. Now, I hate the phrase Old Testament. I find it both pejorative and anti-Semitic. But I was taught that the Hebrew Bible is called the Tanakh. So I used that. And it was written by the people of Israel, and after the time of Mordechai and Esther, that the people of God were called the Jews, or Yehudim, and that the New Testament, or more appropriately referred to as the Gospels and the Epistles, uh, by the way, Epistles is just a fancy word for, for letters, um, the Gospels and the Epistles were also written by Jews, every one of the authors having been a direct follower firsthand of Yeshua, with the exception of Shaul, 
of Tarsus, or his Greek name Paul. So, back to Leviticus and the reason that uh, Jewish parents and teachers often teach the three-year-olds Leviticus. Now, Rabbi Monk explains that, but in order to understand that, we have to understand why the word, or why the name and the letter Aleph connects to teaching. So, Rabbi Monk explains that the Levites, uh, or that Leviticus mostly covers ritual purity the temple and the Mishkan services and other priestly duties. Now, incidentally, the, the temple came in the year 826 BCE, or the biblical year 2935. Uh, so all of the laws of the Mishkan transferred to the temple. And uh, the, the temple, when it came in the biblical year 2935 uh, from creation, it became the epicenter of Israeli life for 410 years until its destruction uh, in a year that is debated in Judaism. Now, most people believe the year the temple was destroyed, the first the first temple was destroyed, was 586 BCE. But Chabad, for instance, believes that it was in 423 BCE, even um, uh, later. Um, so, 586 is the common, uh, the more commonly known year. But Chabad believes it was 143 years l later. Uh, I don't completely understand why, and it's beyond the scope of what I'm sharing today, but I actually only recently discovered that there was even a debate about the year of the temple's first destruction, or I should say the first temple's destruction, because that's how it's properly referred to, the Khurban. Khurban is the name of the destruction of the temple. So, the Mishkan was then no longer used after that point in time. Now, Rabbi Monk says the small Aleph in Vayikra connects to an idea earlier in his chapter 1 called Aleph. Now, chapter 1 of this book is literally called Aleph. Now, the section I'm drawing from is called Eluf to Aluf. And he says that great things come from small seeds. So, to speak my words, not his. Um, or, sorry, let me read that again. Um. Great things come from small seeds, so to speak. Now, those are my words, not his. But he draw, he draws from Sota 8b in the Mishnah of the Talmud and says, A house is built brick by brick, and a fortune can be amassed one cent at a time. Now, he says that with the change of one vowel, the name Aleph, which has the numerical value of one, changes to 1,000. And with just one vowel change. So Aleph, the letter itself, has a numerical value of one. But the word Aleph, if you change one vowel, it changes to the word um, Aluf, or uh, Aluf, which uh, is literally, that's the word for 1,000 in Hebrew. Now many notice it is the first letter, Aleph, that is, in one of God's most commonly used names, Adonai. I don't mean to say God's name is common, but one that you hear a lot is Adonai, which is typically translated as the Lord into English. Now, it's also when you see the Yud and the letter He and the letter Vav and the letter He, I say it that way so I don't end up saying God's name, um, which is not pronounceable, nor do we have the pronunciation, no matter what anybody tells you. Uh, it is understood widely in Judaism, in all branches, that uh, Y-A-H-W-E-H is not the way to say it. Uh, the reason that people think that is the way you say it is because they took the vowels from Adonai and put them, somebody, I guess, uh, put them under the letters Yud and He and Vav and He, and they made that into a name that doesn't 
it, it's not correct. Um, and, and even if it is, we shouldn't be saying it. But we pretty much know for a fact that it's not the correct pronunciation, nor should we be saying that. Uh, but anyway, uh, Adonai is, is okay. And when you see those letters, if you're reading the Torah out loud, you'll hear, or hear it read out loud, you'll hear Adonai. Uh, usually is uh, what you'll hear um, for the name of God. And he connects, a Rabbi Monk connects the Aleph to learning. Now the idea of growing and learning from a famous passage in the Talmud in Shabbat 104a explaining the Aleph Bet. Now the letter Aleph is interpreted as a command or directive to study. Aleph is used in Job chapter 33 verse 33 where it says, I will Aleph you in wisdom. Or, I will Aleph you wisdom. And the translation is teach you wisdom, but Aleph is used here as a verb. So, if you look at the Hebrew, I don't have it in front of me, but it's very interesting and I have never seen that before. So, if you can read Hebrew, read Job 33, verse 33. So, that leads me to conclude that the explanation about the custom of children beginning Torah study with Vayikra, uh, children who are small and pure from sin, uh, well, maybe not 100%, but you get the idea, have not yet been stained by the world. Please help them, God, not to be hurt by the world. But uh, children learning about the offerings is an acceptable substitute to the Almighty while Israel is in exile and the temple is not rebuilt. And that uh, children, when they are small and at the very beginning stages, representative of the letter Aleph, um, should start by understanding the basics of the Mishkan service and the temple service and what draws us near to God, which is um, the offerings, which do require sacrifice on our part. They require sacrifice of money. They require sacrifice of an animal we own or food or produce we own. And how much in your life are you sacrificing? Or are you giving up to offer yourself to, to Hashem? So while I don't want to call the things we're bringing sacrifices, the word sacrifice is still useful here. So may the temple be rebuilt. Amen. Speedily and in our days. Now the Haftarah this year, 5783, falls between the special Shabbats, which we have covered somewhat in previous sessions. These are Shabbat HaChodesh, the Shabbat preceding the new moon, Rosh Chodesh of Nisan. And if you look at a Jewish calendar, you can understand this better. And the special Shabbat that falls on April 1st, 2023, or Nisan 10, 5783, called Shabbat Hagadol. So this passage, Vayikra, falls between those two special Shabbats, HaChodesh and Hagadol. Now Shabbat Hagadol is the Shabbat before Pesach, when you also have special reading for the Haftarah. Now what's interesting is that the Torah portions do not always fall on the same special Shabbats. For instance, this year we had a normal Shabbat for this reading, Vayikra, or have, but it is possible in other years that it can fall or coincide with Shabbat Zachor or Shabbat HaChodesh. Now, there are great articles on, for instance, Chabad.org to learn about the special Shabbats. And I believe there are at least 13 special Shabbats per year, so it's an average of almost one per month. Uh, many are very, or more than one per month, actually. But many of these special Shabbats happen very close together. Now, moving on to the Haftarah. Now we see in Isaiah 43, verse 21, through 44, verse 23, that Isaiah admonishes Israel for discontinuing the offerings. 
I don't use the word sacrifices, like I said, because a rabbi who used to work at the Temple Institute calls the word sacrifices the S word, meaning it's a bad word. It doesn't accurately describe the concept of what's happening. They are more correctly called korbanot, and the more you study Hebrew, the more you get a deeper sense of concepts, Jewish and biblical life, and understanding um, of God's culture and intention, as well as the Bible's true meanings of the words. The, the word korban, uh, kof, resh, bet, final noon, comes from the root word karav, which means to come close or come closer. Now, the Haftarah also mentions the types of sin offerings that were required by Israel in order to repair the breach they made with Hashem. Now, many verses show how Hashem erases our sins, and those verses uh, ended up in the Yom Kippur prayers that we say today. Now, English does not translate many words properly or as accurately, so take the time to learn Hebrew and at least learn how to use a strong concordance and a Jacinius Hebrew lexicon so you can use the numbering system to look up the original Hebrew that's designed for non-Hebrew speakers. Now the Brown, Brown Driver Briggs lexicon is a better tool and it gives you more if you can get that too. Now also for Greek studying the New Testament, the Thayer's Greek lexicon is great for the same thing, using it in conjunction with the Strong's Concordance. Since the New Testament was largely published in Greek, and only now more recently have Hebrew versions been published, word studies are typically done in Greek for all the books from Matthew to Revelation. So, back to the main point. They had stopped doing the offerings, which shows the connection to the parasha in Leviticus 1, because that's where the offerings were given. So this is kind of like a reversal of fortune, a, a twist, um, 180. And you've got Hashem and Isaiah trying to get them to come back. Now, Israel has turned away from God, replaced holy worship in the temple with idolatry and pagan practice. And Hashem tells the people to return and do teshuvah, repentance, and promises to forgive them. And now, Isaiah declares how the idols cannot see or hear. And the whole message of the parasha and the haftarah is that God wants us to come closer to him and he will draw near to us. So, this is a verse in Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 12 through 14, where we see James, the, sorry, okay, yeah, sorry, I was getting confused between Isaiah and Jeremiah, but um, I have it straight. So, uh, the, in the book of Jeremiah, we see a similar a statement in the book of Yaakov, or James, chapter 4, verses 7 to 10 in the New Testament, um, where it says, draw near, well, let me read it. Uh, let's see here. Read it for you. All right, James, chapter 4, verse 7. Therefore, submit to Hashem, God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Now, that's something the priests did. They had to cleanse their hands and their feet before they served. Uh, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Sounds very fast day, ease, and very Yom Kippur ease or Yom Kippur-ish but uh, 
Judaism believes that through showing love to each other as Hashem loves you, and as Hashem loves others, this is the key to bringing about the final redemption of Messiah. More prayer, more charity, and more random acts of kindness. So in Hebrew, this is tefillah, prayer, prayer services, uh, tzedakah, charity, and gemilut chasadim, which is uh, acts of kindness. So uh, showing love to each other as Hashem loves you and as Hashem loves others, this is the key to bringing about the final redemption of Messiah. Now, as believers in Yeshua, this is not necessarily the only thing that will bring about the redemption, we believe, but it cannot hurt to think and act like this. Now, we see in both the Tanakh and the New Testament that all mankind must have a chance to accept or deny Yeshua, His Messiahship and Lordship, and His resurrection. Now, Romans 10, 8 through 10 says, If you believe that Yeshua is Lord and that the Lord, and God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So obviously that is not a popular Jewish belief or sentiment, but I have been thinking about what the return of Yeshua will look like, what the resurrection will be like, and the subsequent seven years of Yaakov's trouble, also called the birth pangs of the Mashiach, in Hebrew, Hevle Shah Mashiach, and um, non-Jews tend to call it the tribulation period. Um, and they also use the word rapture for um, the word resurrection. Rapture comes from the Latin translation of the the phrase that um, is, uh, I forget what the English says, but the catching away, I believe, in First Thessalonians 4, uh, maybe verse 13, but I think it might be from First Corinthians 15, but where it says we will all be raised up in the twinkling of an eye, which is also a, a Jewish phrase. Uh, in the, the flash of a pupil, uh, I forget what the Hebrew is, but uh, I don't remember if that is Mishnaic, Talmudic, or straight from the Bible. But there is this idea about the, the flash in the eye uh, being like the fastest moment, the shortest, shortest, shortest amount of time. But anyway, when this happens, the, the resurrection, the Techiat HaMetim, uh, as believers in Yeshua, we do believe that he'll come back in the air as he left. And this will happen one year. Please help us, God, be soon and maybe this year. Um, but it is prophesied that it will happen at Rosh Hashanah. Uh, there's a lot that goes into that. We don't know what year because the year, many years have been lost. The counting of the calendars off. And also Rosh Hashanah is a mysterious holiday because it's a two-day holiday. So it's called... Um, I believe in Aramaic, Yom Ha'arichta, meaning one long day, a 48-hour day. So that makes it even harder to predict um, at what time, what hour, or even what day Yeshua would come back. And we don't know the date because we don't know what year. So anyway, but Rosh Hashanah is filled with themes of uh, resurrection of the dead, coronation of the king, um, wedding, and... Uh, Eternal judgment, sealing for redemption. So I believe those are the five main themes you see at Rosh Hashanah. Uh, and it just pretty much tells you I mean, that that is uh, most likely when Yeshua will, will return um, at his first appearance. And then the full-blown second coming will be seven years later at Yom Kippur. So return to the earth, the uh, return uh, where he will come back. Um, from the north all the way down to the south and end up at the Mount of Olives where it will be split in two. We see that in the book of Zechariah. 
So what should we be doing? Growing closer to Hashem through study and practice of Torah. Now, did you know that the sages say that studying the temple and studying the offerings, the korbanot, are a temporary replacement for building and serving and worshiping in the temple and actually bringing the offerings? So, look, I didn't come up with this stuff, all right? So God did, the Almighty himself did it, and since he thinks it's important to bring offerings of fruits, grains, animals, and breads at various times during the year, and even bake 12 loaves of bread for the temple every week, and those 12 loaves miraculously stayed fresh and hot, yeah, for the whole week, the whole week, uh, apparently, HaKadosh Baruch Hu thought it was all a great idea, and that's what we're supposed to do to worship him. So... Uh, in closing, please let us know what you think, or if you have comments, questions, or ideas at footsteps of the Messiah at gmail.com. And please, God, we'll be back in the next few days with our catching up episodes and get back on track with the weekly broadcast and be releasing the weekly Haftarah no later than Thursday each week. Uh, so you can listen before Shabbat in case you are Shomer Shabbos and do not use technology on Shabbat. So have an amazing week or have an amazing Shabbos, whatever time you're hearing this. And Shalom, Shalom, and Shalom, Shalom, Yerushalayim, Shalom, Yerushalayim, and Kalal Israel. May you be blessed, blessed and encouraged, and have a blessed day.